This morning, if you've got your Bible handy, I'd like for you to turn with me to James chapter 2. And we're going to continue the series that we've been in for the last several weeks, and we are sort of walking our way through the book of James, verse by verse, section by section, just seeing what what the brother of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has to say to us. And uh, we so far have, I think, gleaned a lot of great truth from what James has said to us, and hopefully we'll gain some more this morning. We are now with message number 10, and we'll finish up today chapter 2, and in the next couple of weeks we'll begin and continue with chapter 3, and as you know, during the summertime we've sort of taken a break from time to time, interjected something different. Next week will be the same. We'll have an interjection of a, of a specific and topical message, but this week we are in James chapter 2. I'd like for you to look with me at verses 20 to 26, James chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. It says here, foolish man, I look, there's, another, there's another version, maybe you brought another version, it says, oh, empty-headed man. What a great translation. I wish that's the one that we had this morning, but oh, empty-headed man. What, what a, that's, that's great. <clears throat> foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this particular passage, verses 14 to 20. We sort of are connecting these two together, talking about the characteristics of both dead faith and living faith. And as you, as you as you well know, obviously, you check vital signs and so on. Even just this morning, we see that happening, checking vital signs to make sure that everything is okay. We do that when we have any sort of health scare whatsoever. You go to the doctor, first thing they do, check your vital signs. They want to know, do you have the signs of life on the outside? That should be because you have life on the inside. And so James gives us the same sort of checks. How can we know if our faith is dead or if our faith is alive? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the characteristics, characteristics rather, of dead faith. That you may have a claim of salvation, but there's no life change. And we know many people like that. There are probably some folks that are here today that are just like that. That we claim to have had an experience with Jesus Christ that resulted in salvation, maybe as a young child, maybe as a teenager, maybe as a young adult, maybe just recently. But it's produced no life change whatsoever. The Bible makes it clear that if our faith is real and living, if it is authentic, then there will be resulting life change as a result of our claim to salvation, our claim to faith. And so we have that as one of the characteristics that there may be a claim to salvation, but there's no life change. That's dead faith. Also, we looked at a couple of weeks ago that, that dead faith results in maybe saying, well, God bless you, or I'm praying for you, but there's no real compassion, no real ministry that is evident toward other people. In a sense, you're sort of bothered by the problems other people have. You really don't want to get your hands dirty. You have no real concern. You just like them to think that you care. Now, I hate to admit to you that you and I probably could agree that we have all done that. And so we've all demonstrated that in the past, but we're talking about
pattern of your life here. If that is the pattern of your life, it's evidence that you don't truly care about other people. And we look to the fact that those who say they love God, as a result, will also love other people. They go hand in hand. In a sense, you can't claim that you love God and hate everybody else. That doesn't make any sense. The Bible makes that clear. And so that's one of the characteristics of dead faith. God bless you, but there's no real ministry, no real compassion. And then also a characteristic of dead faith we looked at was that there may be an acknowledgement of facts or truth. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's true. Or, yeah, I recognize that the Bible has some truth in it. Or, what well, seems as if, historically speaking, that it is a fact that Jesus was both crucified and raised from the dead. But that acknowledgement of facts and truth does not then result in trust in Jesus. And so that's a characteristic also of dead faith. We're going to learn this morning the contrast of all that. What? That's dead faith. We don't want to be that. So what is living faith? What does it look like to have your faith truly come alive? James and all of Scripture, all of Scripture, including this particular book, makes very clear the first truth that you'll see if you turn on the back of your bulletin. You'll see it written out already for you. That this truth is abundantly clear in the Scripture. You cannot read the Bible and not get this, that how you live reveals whether your faith is dead or alive. Underline those words like we did a couple weeks ago. How you live. It's not what you say. It's not what you think. It's not what you just talk about. It's how you live that reveals whether or not you truly know Jesus Christ on the inside. Because if you truly do, your faith will be alive. I, I, I read that statement, and, and as I was preparing this week, I, I made me think about those old wanted posters that maybe you've seen before, you know, copies of those things, wanted, dead, or alive. You know, those old outlaws in, in, the, in the, the West, you know, I was watching a program a couple of weeks ago about that, and you got these wanted posters, and, and you've got all these outlaws, and they were wanted, dead, or alive, guys like Jesse James, Black Bart. Um, guys, I, I, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, Billy the Kid. My favorite that I came across, and I was doing a little curiosity research, a guy named Big Nose George. Well, how about that guy, you know? What if you were an outlaw and you didn't have a cool name like the Sundance Kid? You were Big Nose George. I mean, you know, just you, you probably want yourself, you know, you, you, you place the bounty on your own head, you know? I mean, there's no way to hide. You, you know, you think of outlaws. You know, you can change your hair color, you can cut your hair, you can grow a face, you can shave it off. But if you're Big Nose George, you've got one identifying feature. And, you know, what are you going to do about that? Now, interestingly enough, Big Nose George was so hated that upon his death, he was made into a pair of shoes. I mean, you know, they hated him so much when he walked around at him later on. Anyway, that's, but you know, that's what I think of. Wanted, dead or alive. God, I really believe that today our faith and if you'll evaluate today, you'll find out it's either dead or it's alive. That's it. And I think that, that obviously, as I've said, that's revealed in, in how we live. And There's a wanted poster out for your faith. And it's from God. And it doesn't say wanted dead or alive. It just says wanted, alive. That's it. God doesn't want you to go through the motions of Christian faith and fool yourself into thinking that you are legitimately a Christian when, in fact, there is nothing alive inside of you at all. He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to be confused over whether or not you have salvation or not. He wants you to know. And it will be displayed in the life of your faith. God wants your faith alive. And so he shows us in James chapter 2 what it looks like to have living faith. Now, I want to clear something up real quick before we move on. Because there, there is contrast.
controversy over this particular excuse me, passage of Scripture. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, wanted to throw the book of James out because of this particular passage right here. Because he thought that it went against what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 4. Now, what we see here in James 2 is that you see in verse 24 that a man is justified by what? Works and not by faith alone. Now, when I read that, I think, wait a minute. Now, everything I've ever been taught as an evangelical is the fact that I am saved by faith alone. By God's grace through faith alone. That's it. And so when I see this, I'm going to wait just a second. Now, hold on. What is James talking about? And Martin Luther thought the same thing. And in fact, he was so confused by it that he said, just throw James out altogether. Now, I hope to show you just briefly that there's no contradiction between what Paul said in Romans chapter 4 and what James says here in James chapter 2. Keep your place in James 2. And I want you just to flip over with me to the left to Romans chapter 4. Romans comes right after the book of Acts. And look with me just quickly. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Now remember, who does James talk about that was justified first by works? What's his name? Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then can we say that Abraham, same guy, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham, here it is, was justified by works, then he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, or he was justified because of his belief. So James says, wait a minute, Abraham was justified by his works, by what he did. Paul says Abraham was not justified by his works, by what he did, but only by his faith. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand what each of these guys are going for. In fact, the word that they use, justified there, has some alterations to it. Paul uses a word that means to be declared right before God, to have credited to your account righteousness. Picture this. You have a bank account. Your name is Abraham. You have a bank account. And only the, the only thing you can see in your bank account is sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. And then you meet God. And you place your faith in God to say, yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I want you in my life. Yes, I will, I will give you all that I am. And God takes that bank account and... and and does a withdrawal of all that unrighteousness and credits to your account by no merit of your own his righteousness. So what he does is he puts into your account righteousness only because the transaction is through faith alone. You couldn't fill that thing up with righteousness because the Bible says that our best things that we try to do are just like filthy rags before the Lord. That means he's so holy that even though what we try to do it just appears like, what in the world are you trying? That doesn't even cut it. And so God takes all that unrighteousness out of our account when we place our faith in him, puts righteousness, his righteousness, in our account. Not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of our faith in him. And we now stand right with God. That's what Paul is talking about. That the only way to be declared right by God is to place your faith in him alone and not try to earn favor with God, but just to say, God, I throw myself at your mercy. You are the only way for salvation. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and was raised again, and I'm placing my faith in you. And immediately, God says, he declares us righteous. Are we made righteous? No, that's a different story. But he declares that that sin is no longer in our account, that righteousness now is in our account. And so Paul says that's the only way to be justified with God, to be declared right with God, is through our faith. That's what he says. James comes over and he says, now, Abraham was justified by works. He uses a little different variation of that word justified, and that basically means vindication before the people. 
and other people saw it. And so Paul says, the only way for you to have a change in your account, your standing with God, is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't work and earn your way to it. James says, though, that as a result, it will be seen by other people. So what, what Paul says, justification starts with, begins with, is summed up in faith in Jesus Christ. James says, as a result, your faith will be alive. As a result, it will be demonstrated in works. So these two go hand in hand. There's not a discrepancy. So if you were to come across this someday, and you read Romans 4, and you read James chapter 2, and you think, wait a minute, these guys seem to be you know, disagreeing. Basically, Paul says, here's where it starts. This is what salvation is summed up in. The grace of God intersects with your faith in him. You are granted salvation by no means of your own. Simply because of the grace of God, you place your faith in him. James says, as a result, you'll live a life that is alive in your faith. Nod your head if that makes any sort of sense whatsoever. All right, somebody's saying, I'm not sure. Go back and listen to the recording later on, all right? But understand that there's no discrepancy. What Paul says, here's how we are saved. James says, here's what the result is. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is all that we can throw on him for salvation, and as a result, we'll live differently. One naturally leads to the other. So we pick up in James 2, where James is giving us the characteristics of living faith. If you've placed your trust, truly placed your trust in Jesus Christ, received him into your life for salvation, what then should our lives look like? That's what James is going to show us. So let's look at some characteristics of living faith. I want to give you six of these today, five of which we can do something about, the six of which is just a gift from God. The first is this. It is active. Living faith is active. Many of these, honestly, are going to be, you know, really, you had to tell me that? I think that was sort of obvious. And that is exactly the point today. And I think many of us miss that simple point. It is active. James gives us the profiles, or sort of an introductory profile of two different people. One is Abraham. One is Rahab. And in each of those, he shows that they had an active faith. That their faith was not just something that was theoretical, but it, it did something in their lives. It prompted them to do something. Turn with me about two or three pages to the left from, from James chapter 2 to Hebrews chapter 11. And we've referenced this before, but Hebrews chapter 11 sort of gives us a rundown of some what would be called heroes of the faith. Folks that you can look at and say, you know what? That's the kind of person I want to be like. That's the kind of person I want to emulate. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us these different people. And I want you to notice a common thing. Look with me in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, verse 7, Noah, after being warned about what was not yet seen in reverence, built an ark to deliver his family. Look at verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Turn the page if you need to, to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Verse 32, and what more can I say, the writer says here, time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith, what, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Do you notice the pattern? These people held up as heroes of faith. The one constant among all of them is that their faith 
prompted them to do something. There was an active part of their faith. Noah built an ark. Abraham was willing to offer up his son. Moses said, I'm turning my back on that old life. I want to be with the people of God. All these other guys that they referenced, they conquered foreign armies. They built things. They raised up kingdoms and so on. They did something because of their faith. The simple truth is that living faith is active. It's not just verbal, though it involves that. That's not the end of it, though. It's just talking about faith in Jesus. It's not just mental. It's not just thinking about it and understanding more. And it's not just emotional, just feeling something. It may include all those things, but it is active. It results in action in our lives. Tangible things before other people that we can and they can see. What does active faith then result in? How can we look at some practical examples in our own lives? Well, we've already seen those in the last several messages on this book of James. If you look at James chapter 1, he talks about trials. What does active faith do in trials? It endures. It calls on God for wisdom. It sees a different perspective. What does active faith do in times of temptation? Well, it doesn't let the temptation take root. It avoids that as best as possible. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. What does active faith do in response to God's word? It wants more of it. It conforms. It, it says, don't be a, a, a hearer of the word, but be a doer. It does something. And then James chapter 1, verse again, verse 26, talks about the, not deceiving yourself, but keeping your tongue under control. It has practical and it has active uh, implications. Then we went on to chapter 2 and talking about favoritism. And active faith doesn't play any favorites. You can see very clearly that, that true living faith is active. I really believe, honestly, that our, our unbelieving world around us, those who are far from God, those who may, may be thinking about God but are far from Him, those who maybe don't want anything to do with God, those who have grown cynical and so on, I, I think some of that has resulted because they have lost sight or they don't see Christians who actively live out their faith. What do they see? They see Christians who go to church. And that's sometimes where it stops. They see Christians who will talk about God from time to time, but maybe that's where it stops. And they see us claiming one thing, but living out something completely different. Maybe you'd nod your head and say, you know, I know people like that. And I tell you what, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I've been burned by people like that, by Christians who will claim one thing and completely live out something different. They'll claim love for God and love for other people, but they are the most hateful and rude folks I've ever met. Wow. Maybe sometimes our churches have forgotten the mandate to be active in taking Jesus to the community, not waiting to see if people will come to us. But taking Jesus to the community. And if we don't do that, all we build is cynicism among our community and we lose our potential for impact. Living faith is active. Not only that, but it's practical. Because it is active, it is also practical. This isn't something for just those folks who we might call spiritual giants. Well, I guess for them, that's the way that it, it plays out in their life. But you know, not for me. I mean, look at the two people that James uses. Abraham. If you know anything about the Old Testament whatsoever, you know Abraham is one of the main guys. The whole nation of Israel traces their history back to this one guy. They, they revered him. He's a hero for them. He's the guy who got it all started. He's the one who trusted God and 
because of that, Lord, the Lord blessed him, and he's their guy. Then you have Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. You could not compare two more diametrically opposed people in the minds of Israelites than Abraham and Rahab. And yet, what does James show us? That it wasn't just for Abraham that faith was to be living, to be active, to be practical, to affect his life, but it was also to be for those who we would look at and say, you, you don't deserve access to God. Look what you've done. And James says, look, none of us deserve it. And yet her faith was demonstrated just like Abraham's in very practical and tangible ways. Living faith, James shows us, was practical in the lives of both of these folks. And in our lives, it needs to be the same way. True living faith is about the everyday stuff of life. I'm thankful that, that God doesn't just say, hey, go live for me. and doesn't give us any instruction whatsoever on how exactly that should happen. You know, most of life is not lived here in the church. You know, it's really easy to be a Christian in church. You just kind of sit there and don't disrupt the sermon and everybody thinks you're okay, you know. Don't throw things at the preacher. You know, I, you know, I, you may have brought something this morning, but, but you know, it's real easy. What happens when the everyday real stuff hits you? When you leave. <laughs> when you're pulling out of the parking lot. When you get cut off in traffic. When you go to lunch and somebody says something you don't like and they've just been waiting all morning. What do you do tomorrow when you get up and you go to work? And that same person's going to be there. And they're still going to be your boss. And they're still a jerk. What are you going to do? And what are you going to do when you get up tomorrow and the same issues in your marriage resurface? And you just think, you know what, I mean, is this stuff ever going to end? What are you going to do when you're, when you're faced with the, the, the possibility of, of difficulty and, and distance in a relationship with a, with a child? What do you do? I mean, if your faith does not affect those practical issues of life, then what is the point? If God's Word doesn't address those things, throw it out. Because it's not real. And I'm thankful that it does. The Bible speaks either directly or in principle to every issue that we'll ever face. Every single one. It's not some theory that we discuss. It's not something we just come to each week. It's not a ritual. True living faith is practical. It affects the real issues of life. The Bible tells us what it does. The Bible instructs us on the real issues of life. And so in your parenting, your marriage your work, your money, your school, your friends, your family, relationships, your attitudes, your goals, your reactions, all of that. The Bible speaks either directly or in or in principle to every single issue you face. The Bible is extremely practical. Your faith, if it's living and active and so on, it will be practical. And so I guess the question then is, do people... See us with that active faith that's practical in the issues of life. When you think about those things, on what basis do you parent? On what basis do you handle your job, your money, your relationships? On what basis do you form your attitudes, your decisions? On what basis? Many times we just make it up. You ever just feel like you're just winging it through life? I mean, I've been there. I'm just trying to make it one day to the next, man. Just leave me alone. You know, I'm just I'm doing the best I can. Been there? You don't have to go through life winging it. You don't have to. The Bible makes it clear that 
the practical issues of life, both the big issues, what must I do to receive salvation, big issue in life, how do I receive salvation, that's in there, what do I do as a parent, in there, how do I handle my boss at work, in there, big issues, small issues, practical issues, theoretical issues, all in there, living faith is active, it's practical, not only those two things, but it's also public. Living faith is public. Now, this is the part we don't like. Okay, good. I need to do something about my faith. Great. It's active. Right. Good. I did something good for somebody this week. My faith is active. You know what? I was having some trouble with my marriage the other day. I came across a verse in the Bible that talked about that. I applied that. It seems like my marriage is doing a little better. Practical. James twice here in these verses says that they were justified by works. Again, remember the, the comparison between Romans 4 and James 2. Talking about justified by works is not before God, but before everybody else. For others. This wasn't to be for Abraham some private matter. It wasn't to be for Rahab something she just kept inside. Now, I fully realize that in a crowd, no matter how large or small, in a crowd this size, there are people who believe that your faith is a private matter. Now, what, where we get off track is thinking, well, you, you know, we, 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 we like to talk about this. You can't judge me. You can't tell me what I think. You're exactly right. Only God can. But I can tell you from the truth of Scripture that there was nothing private about the ministry or the death of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not a single thing. And so by implication, and we'll see in just a minute, by command, we are not to be private in our Christian faith. Just to say, well, I don't want to offend anyone. We live such politically correct lives that we often exhibit dead faith. The effort to be politically correct, not to mess up things, not to offend. We forget the commands of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, you are salt, and more than that, you are Light, And he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, let your light shine before who? Before men, before everybody else. Let it shine. He compares it to a city set on a hill that's got lights everywhere. To a lamp that's in a room that's meant to light the place up. He says, you Christians, you who follow Jesus, that's you. See anything private about that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives the great commission. He says, go and make disciples. He says, go. Don't stay here. Don't stay in the house. Don't stay in the synagogue, in the temple, wherever. He says, go into all nations. Public. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be my witnesses. That involves public. That involves talking. That involves something besides keeping it as a private matter. Real, living faith is active. It's practical, and it's also public. Now, let me tell you this. It's not easy. <laughs> public faith is not easy. It'll cost you. It will. You'll receive the blessing of God, but it'll cost you. You probably experienced that. It may cost you a job. It may cost you some friends or family member, somebody who doesn't understand, who doesn't think that you want to live Christian in a public way. It may cost you. Now, I want you to know this: that when you live publicly for Jesus Christ, you receive His blessing. And the most convincing argument for Jesus is not something that you can say that you've learned and you know how to argue with somebody. It's a changed life that's put on display. That's convincing. That's what shows that Jesus is truly inside of you. So it's active, it's practical, it's public. 
Not only that, but it's holistic. It's holistic. Let's increase our vocabulary this morning. The word holistic, some of you know what it means. Some of you may say, not real sure. That just simply means that it covers everything. It involves your whole being. Your intellect, that you get your mind. Your emotions, that's sort of your heart. Your will, it's your decisions, what you do. All of that is included in living faith. Abraham and, and Rahab both faced situations where the wholeness of their faith was going to be tested. Abraham certainly faced a tough decision when God called him to leave the land of his fathers in Genesis chapter 12 and go to the land I'll show you. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. They felt like you would been on a trip like that. I don't know, let's make it up, you know, just get a map out and throw some darts at it. Abraham didn't have a map. He had no idea where God was leading him. But it says he went out. He went out not knowing where he was going. Certainly that was a little confusing. God, now wait a minute. Um, where are we going? I'll tell you. Show you when we get there. How much longer? Show you when we get there. You know, Abraham was 75 years old, but I imagine he asked God, how much longer? How much longer? You know, there's a, you know, just be quiet. You know, watch your movie. It's okay. Well, you know, that's what we did our kids anyway. So, <clears throat> how much longer? Certainly he wondered. You know, when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, Genesis chapter 22 records that. And he says, you'll sacrifice your son, your only son. Just reminding Abraham, look, here's what's most precious to you. Here's what's most dear to you. Certainly he faced an emotional uprising. To, to be commanded by the Lord to sacrifice his son. Are you kidding? Certainly his will was tested. I'm sure there were times when he thought, no, no, I'm not doing that. No way. Rahab was tested in all those areas when she received spies from the nation of Israel into Jericho, put her life on the line for her faith in God. Certainly her emotions, her will, her intellect, they were all tested. And yet all those things in these two people and in countless others in the Scripture, those things were brought under the submission of God. So you know what? I don't understand, but yes. You know what? I, I don't know, boy, everything in me rises up against that, Lord. I, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit stressed by that, but yes, I'll, I'll obey. Or God, you know what? My will says I really don't want to do that, but God, I'll submit to you. It's holistic. Their thoughts, their emotions, their attitudes, their decisions, their actions, they were all based upon their living faith in God. Faith dominated every aspect of their lives. Were they perfect? No, read their stories. Not perfect. But faith dominated their lives. It was holistic. And we are to be no different. The truth is, if your faith, if my faith is real, then it won't just affect the Sunday part of you. The Sunday part of me. It, it won't be just thought of during tough times. Just only them. It won't be something that's in the background. It won't be something that's sort of a part-time job, so to speak. It will be consuming. If our faith is real, it will affect all of our thoughts, all of our emotions, our attitudes, our decisions, our actions, everything. It affects it all. And certainly this is progressive. This is something God teaches you as you walk with Him, as you grow with Him. It's not about sinless perfection. It's about growing with God and saying, God, I want you to affect every bit of me. So it's holistic. And it's also risky. Faith, if it's lived out, if it's alive, is risky. 
Abraham, what was he told? Leave your land. Nobody did that back then. Nobody moved away. It required change on his part. He didn't even know where he was going. But he trusted God in a risky situation. He was a strikeout toward the promise of God. Now you may say, well, that's just for young people. You know, I mean, yeah, they're adventurous. Abraham was 75 years old. Set in his ways. I guarantee you, set in his ways by 75. Now listen, I know we don't have any people that are going to admit that you're 75 or above or that you're set in your ways. No, we're not going to admit that. All right, so we'll speak hypothetically and go tell all your friends. But Abraham said, no, no, no. I don't care how young or old or in between. I'm going to follow God no matter what. No matter what. If God calls me to go do something different, guess what? I'm going to go do something different. Is it risky? Is it hard? You bet. We don't get the emotion. We just get Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God says, leave, verse 4. So Abraham went. We don't get what happened in between. But I guarantee you, 75 years old, probably sitting his way. He said, you know, I'm good, man. Listen, everything's good. But what an inspiration. What an inspiration to, want, to a person of any age. And he said, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. When he had to sacrifice his son, the one that God had promised, here's the nation, here's who the nation is coming through, it was what was most dear to him. As he raises that knife, willing to sacrifice his own son to be obedient to God, it just puts on the line everything. He says, you know what, God, I'll trust you no matter what. Rahab had to leave her old lifestyle behind, risk being convicted, both she and her family, as a traitor, Risk being put to death, she put her life on the line. When these folks were given the chance to demonstrate their faith, Abraham and Rahab both, they did so in a way that put everything on the line. They're banking on God no matter what. Faith is not demonstrated by just a mere profession or claim. But it's demonstrated in trusting him and living for him even when it's hard. Even when it's a little risky. Even when we say, I don't think I want to do that. Young folks, middle-aged folks, older folks, it's for all of us. All of us are called to a lifestyle that will risk it all for the Lord. It might cost you, but that's living faith. And that's the faith that God blesses. Which leads me to the last one. Living faith is rewarded. It is rewarded. You know, it wasn't until Abraham acted that he gets the description there in James chapter 2, verse 23. So the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as for righteousness. And he was called what? God's friend. Certainly all of us are declared at peace with God upon receiving his salvation through our faith. But we don't get that closeness with him unless we obey him. Living faith is rewarded. There's no greater honor, no greater joy than to be known as, to be received as the friend of God. Living faith results in a closeness with God that few people experience. You may be at peace with God for eternity, but are you this morning close to Him? Are you in close relationship? Are you His friend? He's made Himself your friend. Are you His friend? Do you walk closely with Him? And then Rahab, she wound up being protected, delivered from certain death because she trusted in God. And eventually she becomes a person who's named in the ancestry of Jesus. 
rewarded for that faith. So what do we do? I want to give you just one principle you can think about this week. You see all the things that living faith is a part of. Don't forget that. And add to it this principle. Close the gap. Here's what you do. Close the gap between what you claim and what you apply. How can we demonstrate living faith? Close the gap. Think about your life. Isn't there often, if you're anything like me whatsoever, isn't there often this gap between what I say and what I do, between what I claim and what I apply, between how I am on Sunday and how I am on Tuesday? Isn't that true sometimes? You want your faith to be living and active and public and holistic and risky and all of that and close the gap between what you claim and what you apply. Abraham and Rahab both simply acted on what they knew. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They just had the promise of God. They acted on it. They just did what they could with what they had. And so this morning, I challenge you as an individual, take an inventory real quick. Just think about your life. Does your claim at church match how you live at home? Do they line up? Is there, is there a, a narrow gap? Is there a wide gap? Is there no gap at all? Where, where, where are you? Does your life display these characteristics of living faith? Is your faith active? Is it practical? Is it public? Is it holistic? Are you willing to take some risks for God? Do you demonstrate those things? Is your faith alive or is it something that you just talk about? How do you close that gap? Well, you do just what Abraham and Rahab did. You learn as much as you can about the Lord and you apply it. You say, well, that sounds too simple. I hope that it is. I hope that you understand that the Christian life, though not easy, is a simple formula. You learn as much as you can. What does God want from me? And then I go and live it out as best I can. When I fall, I confess my sins to the Lord. I get back up and praise God. He puts me on my feet and I keep moving forward. And that's the Christian life. I learn. I apply. I trust. I obey. That's what it's all about. And in so doing, you'll be rewarded. As a church, does our claim of wanting to reach new people match what we're doing to make that happen? Well, I hope it does. Is there a gap in our church between what we claim that our mission is and what we actually do? Well, there are many churches that have a huge gap. Huge gap. Let's close the gap as a church. Let's close that gap as best we can. It doesn't just take me. It doesn't just take our deacons or our Sunday school teachers or our other leaders. It takes every single one of us. Our faith as a church also must be active, practical. It also must be public and holistic and risky. Don't forget that how you live reveals whether your faith is dead or alive. Paul shows us that living faith starts only with belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. As we place our trust in Him, that's the beginning of living faith. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Have you invited Him in? Have you asked Jesus to come and clean you up? Have you asked Jesus to give you forgiveness? Have you you said, you know what, Lord? I know that one day I'll have to pay for my sins, but if I place my trust in you, you have already paid for them. Have you given him your life in that way? If you haven't, you don't have to do a bunch of good things to make that happen. You just simply say, Lord, I want you in. And God, I, I, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, save me. Maybe you've already done that. 
If so, is your faith living? Is it on display? My prayer is that the Lord will bring revival to us as individuals, to us as a church. But it only happens when that gap is closed between what we claim and what we apply. Maybe you need to make a decision this morning. Maybe it's to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. To receive his free gift of salvation. Or maybe it's to say, you know what, Lord, I want you to bring revival in my life. Revive me. Help my faith to be living. I don't want to be dead. Maybe you need to make a decision to join this church. Maybe you say, you know what, this is the place I want to be. What do I need to do? Answer my question. We'll be happy to do that. I'd love to answer your questions. Or maybe you just need to pray and say, you know what, Lord, I just make a fresh commitment to you this morning. Yeah, you know, I just want to be all yours. All, all, all yours. Holistic. I want it to affect everything. Don't you bow your heads with me, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your free gift, your free offer of salvation. It's to show us very clearly that our only step is to trust you, to believe that you truly are the Son of God, sent to die for the sins of the world, to forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life in heaven and abundant life, life to the fullest here on earth. So God, I pray for those who may need to make that decision this morning, that they not put it off. Lord, none of us are guaranteed another breath. Or may we not put off those decisions to follow you. Or may we trust you. Lord, for those who are stuck in between that gap between what we claim and what we apply, Lord, help us this morning to close that gap. May our faith be active, practical, public, and holistic and risky. And Lord, may we as a church demonstrate all that and see you work through us in such a way that that we stand back and applaud you and we slap each other high-five and we have a great time watching you work through us. You make us those kinds of people in that kind of church. We pray in Jesus' name.